This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast where we finally have another Everton win to discuss, uh, just about, uh, at least. Uh, I'm your host, Adam Jones, today joined by Dave Prentice, Gav Buckland and Conor O'Neill to discuss 3-2 away win at Fulham, courtesy of a Dominic Calvert-Lewin brace and a header from Abdullahi Decore. We'll go into depth on Everton's system, some surprising performances from a couple of individuals and the importance of that victory in a little bit. But Preno, I want to start with you. And uh, we talk about the cliche of a game of two halves and, you know, a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde performance quite a lot in football. But I think that is probably the best way to sum up that performance from Everton, really, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, it was a very uncomfortable viewing experience, the second half. It was one that you just desperately wanted to end. And it was strange because the first half, there were so many good elements to the game. It wasn't great all the way through, but there were so many parts of that performance in the first half, which were really, really good. And uh, some of the passing movements were just absolutely top class. There was one, I recall, where I'd actually not been keeping count, I'm thinking, must have been about 30-odd, 40-odd passes in this move. If this finishes in a goal, this is going to be one of the great Everton goals. Predictably, it didn't. I think it ended in a shot which was uh, charged down. But there were lots and lots of very positive elements. And you just thought, great, start the second half in a similar mode, score a fourth goal, and that's it then. We can settle back and really enjoy it. Obviously, we know what happened. I don't know why the second half was such a difficult watch. Maybe the uh, the number of players who've been away on international duty, especially the South Americans, all seem to fade quite significantly. Richarlison, who was outstanding first half, obviously, you know, sort of faded second half. So a number of elements. But yeah, we had to dig in. We had to grind it out. And we did just about. So most important thing was it was three points. It was a win. Because conceding a late equaliser would have been such a kick where it hurts. And it would have been such a... A deflating experience, but it wasn't. Let's be positive. Let's focus on the positives. And it was. It was a very, very good three points in the end. Just about. <laughs> well, fo- focusing on those positives, Gav. It was. It was an exciting game of football at the very least, wasn't it? You know, end to end stuff for a lot of the game, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm going to invoke Sven's famous phrase of first half good, second half not so good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to, 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 yeah. It was. I mean. I would imagine, you know, the BBC probably made up really Sunday, Sunday lunchtime, 12 o'clock. Everton Fuller was not exactly title decided, is it? With all due respect. But um, if you're watching it as a neutral, you would have been exceptionally pleased after the first half. Really exciting game, which I think showed the deficiencies of both teams. Um, ours, which we would obviously talk about later, probably defensively. And also the fact that we did tie, the, the fact we tired in, in the second half actually made that a better game for the neutral, I would imagine. Because um, from came back into it, they did they change a couple of things around. It was, it was, a, it was an exciting game. So after, about, after about half an hour, of course, having uh, turned on the telly at two minutes past 12 and found that we already can <laughs> score. Like, you know. Good old boy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good, isn't it? You know, uh, that has to be said. Um, yeah, really good game, lads. I mean, and I can only really say what Benno says. Looking back on it now, 24 hours later, I've been annoyed at the end like everybody else, but 24 hours later, you just see the score now, don't you? Going to Everton today and three points back up to the table, a couple of winnable fixtures to come, so uh, all good. Mm. And Connor, we'll discuss that early goal now. Uh, you know, a lot of the talk before the game and in the build up over the course of the last week was the return of Richarlison and how important that was going to be for Everton. He's on the pitch for 40 seconds and he sets up a goal. <laughs> what, a, what a play it is. 
he's just <clears throat> he's Everton's best player, isn't he? By a country mile, I think he just. I think at the start of the season, we all kind of maybe found a bit of a a different way of thinking in the sense with Hammers coming in, Calvert-Lewin's obviously scoring goals, Decore, Allen, Michael Keane is impressed. And I think maybe there was a, maybe a bit of a a kind of view, view that, oh, Everton have got more than just for Charleston. Now, you know, there is other options. There is other players you can bring stuff to the table. But I think when he missed them three games, it just underlines how important he is for Everton and how vital he is. And, like you say, then after 40 seconds yesterday, you know, he's he puts one on an absolute play for Calvert-Lewin, which is something that he's not had in, in, for, since Charleston got suspended, you know, putting it on a play for him. Um, and I think it just it just underlines again how important he is. And I think you know, the big the big thing for me is it, it seems now that no matter kind of what how much money I haven't spent and what they do recruitment-wise, they, he, he's the talisman now. He, he, no one will get close to him because he, he just gives this Everton side something that they just, they don't have when he's not there. He's just that he is something special, and you know the, the hope is now he, he stays fit. We keep him, we keep him fit and fine for the rest of the season because he, he's absolutely vital. If Everton have got any chance of getting anywhere near the top six, possibly top four, he's going to be absolutely crucial, crucial in that push. Mm. I think Preno. I think I think that first goal kind of sums up everything that Richarlison is for Everton, didn't it? You know, he had the tenacity to close down the defender, the awareness to put him under pressure. And then he had the pace to take him on and then the wherewithal to look up and find Calvert-Lewin in the area. That's that's exactly what we've been missing over the last few games, isn't it? 100%. It was the way he made it look so effortless. Uh, if you look at the, the, the very, very dramatic change of pace he introduced and that little shuffle he did, you know, so with his feet just to glide past the defender. But he made it look so easy as well. But above all, it's the work he does defensively. Um, I mean, he's absolutely brilliant in the final third, and, you know, and he made things happen. But it's the way he tracks back, the way he uh, chases back, the way he closes space, the way he wins back possession. There was a, there was one, uh, the one that the goalkeeper, you know, sort of dived to his left to push around the post, which was a great move in itself. But he started that by winning back possession, you know, so inside, you know, Fulham's half, and he does that over and over again. And that kind of attitude becomes infectious. You know, you see one of your front three doing that. Uh, other players are more inclined to do it. I mean, obviously, Hammers, that's not part of his game, but there are a couple of moments in that first half as well where you saw Hammers trying to do something similar, you know, sort of chasing back, obviously not quite as successfully or as relentlessly as Richarlison, but he was having a go. It does actually, you know, sort of become something that the rest of the team embraces then as well. Uh, so it is, it's so, so important. And yeah, you just, what, what's the old uh, song lyric? You don't know what you've got till it's gone. And you, do, you don't appreciate just how good he is until he's not there. And you think, wow, yeah, you know, so we really have missed him. So, yeah, you know, like, like uh, Connor says, wrap him in cotton wool, keep him fit and available, uh, you know, as much as we possibly can, because he is absolutely crucial to anything we're going to achieve this season. Mm. Gav, as you mentioned, obviously, Richarlison did tire towards the end of the game, as you might expect, really, from somebody who's missed the last three games and has had a long trip from South America. But that first half performance from him was absolutely full of energy, wasn't it? And it, it's going to be crucial to have him there for the next few games, isn't it? Well, to the end of the season, isn't it? And then hopefully <laughs> next year, yeah, he's a, I think you can't say anything more about him that's not been said. You know, massive fan like everybody else. He's, he's gone in and become a real elite player. Two th- two comments from yesterday is, and this is what I, I, it got picked up, is his reaction after they score their goal. Yeah. Where he's like on the floor banging the uh, banging the turf with his fist, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of thing I like to see. So it's obviously not stage managed. You know, he's not playing to the crowd there. It's it, it's a reaction you want to see. 
it's not as it, it's not even him who's made the mistake either. Um, and I, I thought that was a bit that shows his mindset. I say about Richarlison is that I, I'm not going to criticise him because he did brilliantly. There was the one, there was a great move, and there was one two with Calvert Lewin, and he went to kill it to the goalie's right. The goalie made on the first half, the goalie made a great save, um, which where they should have stuck it in the other, given the eyes and stuff in the other corner. Mm. And I think Connor, like Gab's read my mind a little bit there. I was going to say probably the only missing from the only thing missing from Richardson's performance there was a goal, wasn't it? You know, he had that one in the first half, as they've mentioned, which brought a really good save from the keeper. He had one at the start of the second half as well, where he got onto the end of the set piece and he's just got a bit more power on it. It might have uh, might have led to a goal as well, but you know, he's getting himself in the position still, isn't he? The, you know, the goals are going to come. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean. He, he, you know, he's if if he gets them chances next week, you you bank on him to put one of them away, wouldn't you? At least I think, he, I think the big the, the big thing for Charleston is he continues to get himself in them positions and, and you know gets them chances, and, and that's the big thing for me because I think you know long we've we've kind of we've always had wingers who've never really been in them positions or have been a little bit too slow to react. He's there constantly, and the goals will come and if and even if he continues to assist like he has done with, with Dominic Calvert Lewin the weekend, the goals will continue to come, flow because when he's putting them on a plate like he was for the first goal on, on Saturday on yesterday, it, it's a tap in, isn't it? It's a, it's a it's a knee on goal. So yeah, the goals will come. I don't I don't have any concern about Richarlison, you know, maybe having a bit of an off day in front of goal because he still contributes to the whole a whole variety of things. And I think that's probably the most telling thing in terms of, you know, what what Prenon Gav said the same as you know is where Creighton's defensive. Sometimes it feels like a little bit with Hammers, he, he can create things and he can do things, but we carry him at times. You never ever get the feeling that we carry Richardson. He, he puts his fair share in and he, he puts his he puts a real shift in. And I think that's the big thing for me is that his all around contribution is just on another level and the goals will come. There's no, no doubt about that. Mm. I know, uh, Everton changed their system for this weekend's game now. In the podcast, was it last week or the week before, we talked about a potential change of formation for Everton, maybe switching to a five at the back. And both you and Gav said that you'd be against that sort of move. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti did introduce that. Uh, a bit of some surprising personnel uh, yeah, in yeah. introducing that, I have to say. But he did introduce that system. He wanted to bring uh, a bit more of a compact nature into the defence, he said, after the game. Uh, yeah. Do you think that worked? Um, yes and no. I mean, it, it didn't work defensively because uh, we conceded two goals once again. And uh, one of the players in that central three, Yerry Mina, was deeply unsatisfactory again. His performance, a uh, number of things, you know, still concern me, not least, you know, the uh, the goal that we conceded in the uh, in the first half. Uh, and even, I suppose, you could claim the second one went in off him, didn't he? With a, you know, so he was trying to block it, I suppose. Uh, but defensively, it clearly didn't work as effectively as, as Carlo had hoped. But uh, offensively, it probably did, even though the personnel employed was a strange one. When I saw the starting lineup, you know, and I saw some of the social media reaction, it was, oh my God, please don't say Alex Iwobi's playing right wing back. Please don't say Alex Iwobi's playing <laughs> right wing back. Well, he was playing right wing back and he did so really, really well. He had, you know, his best performance for a long, long time. And, uh, you can't really say he's found his position now you know, on the basis of one good performance uh, against Fulham. But it was good. It was promising. Uh, he did very, very well. What that means for John Joe Kenny, though, I don't know. Because to me, you know, he was the obvious choice to play that position. Uh, you know, Lucas Dean is, is excellent at playing left wing back. Obviously, you know, John Joe Kenny would have been ideal for the right. 
but not to be selected, not even be on the bench, suggests that Carlo doesn't particularly fancy him doing that role, uh, unless there's some kind of problem that we've not, not heard about. Uh, but, you know, we haven't. There's no suggestion yet that that's the case. So, you know, maybe if he is going to use that uh, formation again in the future, maybe Alex Iwobi will get another uh, another run out. So, yeah, all in all, it was mixed, you know, so it, it did create a number of uh, positives. But defensively, it was far from convincing, uh, you know, for Fulham to hurt us as much as they did, suggest that the system wasn't absolutely correct, mm-hmm. even though we got the results. What your thoughts on it, Gav? I mean, obviously, when we discussed yeah. it last week, in theory, you had your worries about it. Did you see those concerns come to light in practice, yeah. or were you maybe more comfortable with it? Uh, oh, good question. Uh, probably, like, I want to say, like, Pleno again, for the, for the, the, the fifth time in the podcast, we've only been going 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think uh, a couple, couple of things, a couple of observations is, I mean, it's it's not five. It's five at the back. I think it's three, four, three, isn't it? It's three at the back with two wide, wide players. I think it will be got the shout over Kenny because, as a wing back, it's not the same role as a full back, is it? I mean, if you look at Dean, you've got both good attacking and defensive skills. You can get away with it as a full back. John Joe Kenny is not a natural. You would say, again, up down the uh, wing, a will be is far more, far more, far more than that. You know. Uh, so I think he probably did always far more suited to that role than John Joe Kenny. So I'm not really that perturbed about Kenny not playing because I think it was probably um, probably the setup three four three. To be fair, I think regarding how we set up defensively, I think the problem you have with three centre halves is is you have a bit more space, don't you, between the three of them than the, than the two. And I think that may be contributed towards the first goal uh, in particular. Um, and um, I'm not sure whether Mina should be the player to play the centre of the back three. I think if you're going to do that going forward, you play Holgate because your centre, one of the back three has to be the one who's good on the ball. And I don't think Mina's that good on the ball to play the centre of the, the, you know, the back three. I think Holgate going forward is far more suited to that. So a bit of a, for me, a bit of a, I'm not proven really. I think it was done specifically for for Fulham away whether you play that say in a derby match it does it you know so uh, it's not a long term solution for me mm. I think one of my main takeaway from it and it's something that I wrote after watching the game yesterday was that it was individual errors that seemed to be costing Everton again at the back and you know whatever defensive system you try to employ if you've got those individual errors there anyway then it's not particularly going to matter which defensive system you employ you are going to concede goals if they're still there, would you still agree with that? Or do you think there is some still some issue in the system that Carlo Ancelotti needs to address? No, I, I go along with that. I think, you know, Carlo Ancelotti can do all he wants on, on the training ground, but, you know, he can't, he can't account for the type of errors that we made yesterday in any type of pre-match preparation. But I think in terms of the system, I think, you know, there is problems at the back for Everton because you just look at the amount of sheer amount of goals they've conceded this season. It tells you they've got problems at the back. You know, you, you think they've conceded two against Brighton, two against West Brom, two against Fulham, two against Liverpool. And, and really, you know, in them games, apart from maybe the, the West Brom, the two against West Brom where, OK, you could say we, we stood off them a little bit. The first one was a bit of a, a scream and the second one was a fantastic free kick. Not a lot of them goals have certainly been preventable um, in, in them games. So I think the 
yesterday's takeaway was he can't account for it, obviously, because dealing with the Pedreras. But I think you know, Everton have got problems with the back because they concede far too many goals for, for anyone's liking. I think I, I agree with Gav. I think yesterday was maybe made for Fulham away in terms of we can get at these. We can, you know, they're not great defensively. We've seen that they're not great defensively ourselves. So they were there, but whether he plays that on Saturday against Leeds will be will be interesting because I haven't watched the Chelsea. There's no doubt they will cause Everton problems going forward because they're a very very good. They got some very very good attacking players, and Everton can't afford to make the mistakes they have been because they will get punished. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see this become what he does in terms of how he moves forward because I think on both counts in terms of this the system and, and yesterday we've we've got problems at the back. And we need to find a solution quickly to fix them because it's going to come back to bank us at some point. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I mean, we'll stick with you, Connor, as well, because I want to ask you about uh, Alex Awobi. He's had a very up and down season. Well, he probably has a very up and down Everton career in general, to be honest. But this was certainly one of the highlights, in my opinion, arguably one of his best Everton displays, coming as a right wing back. I mean, you saw him particularly in the build-up to that uh, second goal, you know, that little dribble down the line. He, he kept putting some amazing balls into the box. He deserves a lot of credit for his performance, doesn't he? Oh, absolutely, because we're, we're quick enough to to give him stick when he doesn't perform. You know, you think of Newcastle away, Southampton, where he, he pretty much offered nothing in terms of, you know, any, any attack and play. So he does deserve credit because you've got to give him credit because he was probably Everton's man of the match yesterday in terms of playing an unfamiliar position. I mean, I, I what Preno says there about you look at the team sheet, I was saying one of them when the team sheet drops at 11 o'clock and you're working out who was playing where and it appeared Alex was at right wing back, you're thinking, <laughs> oh my, oh my days. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what, what, you know, is, is Carlo, Carlo's family ever to Carlo over the edge? <laughs> you know? it, 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 it makes an absolute treat. Um, I do think it'll be interesting though to see moving forward with the tougher games to come, whether he, he sticks with him in there, because there is tougher tests to come for Alex Iwobi at right wing back than, than what we've seen yesterday. But in terms of his overall, just his, his one-off display against Fulham, it was his best forever by a country mile. And hopefully, you know, that'll give him the confidence to kick on no matter what position he, he's in. and He can start influencing games like he did his, his periods in that first half yesterday. It's interesting to see what he does going forward because, I mean, it sounds like Coleman's going to be missing for quite a few weeks. So, you know, if that is the case, is he going to stick with a, a strange form, a strange uh, a formation that he hasn't used previously to try and overcome that? You know, so are we going to see John Joe Kenny brought back in having had such a major custard pie to the face? I mean, it's a strange one. Or is Godfrey going to be used as a right back, you know, so going forward, cause, which again, I'm a little bit uneasy about. I know he was decent against Liverpool, but less so against Southampton. If anything, that performance and that formation at the weekend has probably opened up more questions than it's answered. <laughs> so, yeah, who knows what he's going to do for this yeah, Saturday. That, that's a good point by, by Prano that you just said, said at the end of the day, because nearly a year into Carlos' tenure, I'm not sure what, he's, what he thinks of his best centre-back partnership is. Yeah. Mm. You know, or what his best central defensive set-up to, you know, two centre defenders, three centre defenders or whatever, which in itself is quite worrying. Because you've got to get that part of the pitch right, haven't you? Uh, and at the moment, we're getting away with it a little bit this season because we've we scored so many goals at the other end. But sometimes, at some point, that's going to run out, isn't it? Or, or, or one game will miss fire and not score, you know? So, um, 
I think it's going to be uh, interesting to see who he thinks his best centre-back configuration is and who are his best central defenders uh, going forward over the next five or six weeks. Mm. Well, I mean, opening this up to everyone, like if we're going to change our system and we're going to we're going to try out this, you know, a plan B almost from the four three three that we've had so far this campaign. You know, we've had a couple of injuries, and you know this this formation worked against Fulham. Would you rather introduce this system in a t- against, you know, with all due respect, teams like Fulham, Leeds United, who've just been promoted as well? We've got Burnley after them as well. We were going to be presumably mid-table th- uh, mm. this season. You know, would you rather introduce that in these sort of games before we get to? You know what's going to be a really hectic December with some really tough fixtures across that period. I'm not sure. I, I I think it can be more of a defensive setup than actually you know sort of an attacking setup. I mean, four three three worked uh, for the first you know month or six weeks or so of the season against some you know sort of decent teams in there as well. You know, it was a system we used at Tottenham, Liverpool. You know, so why should it you know not be working now? And it's entirely down to the fact that Seamus Coleman is not available. You know, so the fullback positions are so important um, in a situation like that, especially when you've got you know a right-sided player like James that maybe doesn't do as much defensive work as the guy on the left does. Um, so you've just got to get the right personnel uh, to fit that system, and it, it's such a big headache. You know, so losing Seamus Coleman uh, for, for the period that we have. That he's obviously struggling to overcome at the moment. Uh, I personally would like to see us stick with the four-three-three and just try and get it right. Uh, but you know, so Carlo's done it for a reason, and he got the results. Let's not forget, you know. So okay, you know, Fulham might not be the most you know so difficult assignment in the fixture list, but they've showed a little bit of an upturn in form recently uh, from the first three or four weeks when they were dreadful. They have steadied the ship a little bit, uh, and you know they've done okay the last few weeks. So maybe it's not quite as you know easy a test as maybe you know so people are anticipating. But I don't know. It's it certainly posed more questions, I think, than answered. Certainly, yeah. the, the, the other thing, tactically, tactically, I'm just wondering. We spoke last week about we haven't got a natural holding midfielder at the moment, and I'm just wondering whether he thinks if we have three centre halves, then that sort of negates that a little bit because you've got an extra body in the middle of the pitch at the back. Yeah. And I'm just wondering if you have three centre halves, it allows you to a certain degree to have the core and now I'm playing a little bit further up the pitch. Um, and, and I'm just wondering if that's, if that's coming to his thinking as well. I don't, if you had Gabam and say, well, he's won three centre halves as well, is a, is, a, is a new point for me. Because mm. you've then got four centre defensive players in that area of the pitch, which is probably one too many. Mm. I think, Connor, going back to what Preno said as well. Uh, with Coleman being out of the side, do you think it's the biggest blow to John Joe Kenny that Carlo Ancelotti is seemingly rather changed formation to to fit another centre back in and put Alex Iwobi right wing back than just keep the formation that has done so well in this, at the start of the season and just put Kenny in instead of Coleman? I think it's definitely it'll definitely be a blow to him because it's not you can't imagine it being nice, can you? When you know you're sat there as the, the kind of second choice right back. And the manager picks someone else to, to seemingly play in that position that then changes formation. I think the formation changed a little bit as well for me, come as a result of the poor form. But, you know, prior to the international, uh, the international break, I think, you know, the, the three defeats on the bounce, things not really being as fluid as what they have been. In a way, things seemingly going a little bit stale. I know Richardson obviously didn't play the three games, but the things didn't flow as well as they had done in the first time, the six weeks of the season. and I think a little bit the formation change comes as a result of that in a way of trying to maybe freshen things up and, and, and do something different and try something different. And I think 
you know, in some respects, apart from maybe playing Fulham at home, Fulham away was the, the one game where you maybe want to play where you can freshen things up and try something different. Um, so I think the formation change may become in terms of in terms of Carl thinking let's try and do something different and, and freshen things up a little bit. But I think, certainly think even, you know, playing the right wing back at home, Kenny's not the best going forward, but I think given everyone's reaction to Alex who will be playing right back, probably would have rang alarm bells in John Joe Kenny's head because if you're sat there thinking, well, I'm not getting a look in here and I'm a second choice right back, it's not looking very good for his long term future. It's quite clear that he just probably doesn't really fancy John Joe Kenny right now this minute. Um, and it, I think it's hard as well now to see how Kenny really gets back in the team. Except if he's gonna maybe play, you know, a flat a flat defensive four in, in December and some of the tougher opposition. But it, you struggle to see where Kenny's gonna how Kenny's gonna get back in because it's it's seemingly that Carlos made his mind upon how he wants to play and how he wants to do things. Yeah. I just oh, think one, one final thing about yesterday, I'd say, I'm just wondering whether you thought Mitrovic was starting, so he wants to play at the back, because he gives you a, a sort of problem that not many other strikers give in the Premier League, and I just thought yeah. it was it was to, to defend against Mitrovic playing, yeah. and then he didn't, and it's sort of like, I think that, that probably caused him out a little bit yeah. as a consequence. Yeah, maybe. Uh, he's, not, he's, not, he's not played a great deal this season, has he, Mitchell? Yeah. Strangely, he's, uh, he's, been, he's been in and out. But yeah, you shouldn't be setting up you know, so your entire formation on the basis of Alexander Mitrovic. <laughs> no, no. I'm just thinking it, it adds yeah, into yeah. the mix, though. It adds into yeah, the yeah. decision-making yeah. process, doesn't it? I'm not saying that was the yeah. sole reason, but when he was looking at the setup, they well, what yeah. does this enable me to do? I could probably handle Mitrovic better. And I've got more, you know, the wing-backs enable me to tack a bit more against one of the weaker teams so it's a combination of things it was it was, it was uh, interesting to see anyway I, I think yeah. the big thing with, the, with Everton's back line as well at the minute for, for the players in it is that they probably don't know what really Carl Lawrence Rossi's thinking because if you look at the last few weeks you know Man United Mason Holgate come straight back in you know having not featured all season Ben Godfrey was you know admitted from the squad completely um, but then yesterday you know Ben Godfrey's back into the starting lineup over John Joe Kenny and, and Holgate on the bench. So uh, I think for probably some of his players right now, they don't really know where they stand with, with Carl Lawrence. Going back to what Gav said earlier in terms of where he is into his tenure, and we don't really know what his best centre he doesn't know his best centre back pairing is. And, and the players, we don't know what really is going on because it, there's not really changes happening on a weekly basis. And players seem to be coming in from the cold one minute and then being frozen out the next. Uh, they, they probably don't really know what's going on and what Carl Lawrence is thinking. Mm. Well, one place where Everton aren't making any changes is up front because Dominic Calvert-Lewin just keeps absolutely banging in the goals. I can't believe we've got this far into the podcast without mentioning Dominic Calvert-Lewin, to be honest, Breno. Uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's got 10 Premier League goals now. That's the same as Man City so far this season. Like, that's that's a hell of a record already, isn't it? A one-man team. He, he has been absolutely outstanding and he was, for me, the, you know, ever since man of the match by somewhere at the weekend. I know where we did really well. I know Richarlison had a great first half, but he, and he has been for several weeks now. Uh, certainly, you know, during that you know three match you know sort of run of defeats, he was the one saving grace in that he was actually making things happen almost on his own. You know, he was like feeding off absolute scraps, but he was actually making things happen with his ability in the air, with his ability to chase down defenders. And then when he's given a little bit of service, he has just been absolutely different class. I mean, I, I love both goals because they, they were proper centre-forward poachers goals. You know, the first one clipped off a defender, then clipped off him. doesn't matter. You know, they're, they're the kind of goals that, you know, sort of top-class strikers actually score. 
you know, sort of week in, week out. And there was a nice statistic uh, rattled out during the commentary that, you know, if he'd have completed his hat-trick, uh, he'd have been the first Everton striker to score three hat-tricks in a season since Gary Lineker. Uh, and, you know, bearing in mind that we're only in November, uh, you know, so, and God willing, you know, so barring freedom from injury and that, he's going to get more opportunities to do that. He just looks like a player, you know, sort of transformed. A lot of that is down to him, definitely. You know, so he's worked so hard at his game and he stayed so humble. Uh, but equally, an awful lot of credit goes to the manager as well uh, from the way in which he's honed him and developed his game and told him, look, you know, so don't leave that penalty area. You, know, you don't want to be chasing the channels. You know, so that is where you can be most effective. And he's repeated this mantra to him, you know, the one-touch finish, the one-touch finish. Uh, you know, you don't need to take touches. Just get on the end of these things. And he's obviously, a, you know, a listener. He obviously, you know, sort of learns from what he's being told. And he was, he's been different class. I know we've talked about how important, you know, Richarlison is to Everson, and he is. But equally, probably Calvert-Lewin is equally as important. Um, you know, there is backup. I know Cenk Tosin's, you know, seems to be getting a, a new lease of life at the moment uh, his name's in, in squads and you know so he, he's in and around but he's not quite uh, anything like uh, Calvert-Lewin is so yeah all, all credit to him and his manager for what they're doing he has been absolutely wonderful and he was at the weekend absolutely great performance Gav mm. another, another little statty bit for you there uh, Calvert-Lewin is the third player in Europe's top five divisions to reach 10 league goals so far this season he joins Robert Lewandowski and Erling Haaland in the in that yeah rather elite group it's a good company to be keeping for them isn't it <laughs> yeah and they're, they're playing for teams who are like you know traditionally the top two in their their league as well aren't they mm. like Cavaliers playing a much more competitive league yeah I can only, I think the thing about Bolton yesterday is setting aside the goals here. so by the way one that he was offside that was a great finish wasn't yeah. it yeah because <laughs> he didn't know he was offside that was really clever finish in the second half, he held the ball up and in a, in a Harry Kane-esque way, won four or five free kicks for us when we were under pressure and got us further up the pitch. You know, we then lost the ball again pretty much straight away, like, but that's a different story. So it's his all-round game is, 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 has also developed in conjunction with his goal scorer and then the two you know, feed off each other, I would say, in terms of confidence. So... Uh, yesterday, I mean, he, he scored two, but he's getting in the right positions. And he, he, he's well, the one thing I'd say about him, and this is a, a minor criticism of great scheme of things, is, is you know, I'd like to see him occasionally make something happen for himself from a goal scoring, uh, you know, a goal scoring method. Uh, you know, he is, he's not, he is the master of the, the penalty. Six-yard box finish, but it'd be nice for them to, you know, that this is what the real top strikers do, don't they? Like Lewandowski and people like that. And he's got a few years, obviously, a few years to go in terms of development. It's, it's make things happen a little bit more yeah. himself, you know, to become a full, fully more rounded striker, and um, you know, you know, so, so he can develop and give himself more options. But he was he was top class yesterday, uh, and um, I think it's. A quote one back is it him and, him and Les Ferdinand only played together to double figures in the first nine Premier League games of a oh, wow, season, really? isn't it? Something like that, yeah. Um, and obviously, Carl Dominic as well. Dominic's got what is it, 13 for Evan? Mm. Two for England, yeah. is it? Yeah. yeah, two or three for England. So it's not just the Premier League, is it? it it's an all round yeah. performance across a club and in, club and country at the moment. And um, 
begs the question whether this is an extended streak of goals or whether this is just an all. Yeah. <laughs> or they're about, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, actually. Yeah. yeah. Just, you know, sometimes you know, players do have like sort of runs and streaks, but equally, sometimes the penny just drops and players, you know, I'm hesitating to use this analogy because it sort of heaps a ridiculous amount of pressure on Dominic Calvert-Lewin. But you look at the, the goal-scoring record that a certain Alan Shearer had, uh, you know, so when he played for Southampton and was uh, bought by Blackburn for that ridiculous sum of money at the time, was it 3.2 million? And people like raised an eyebrow saying, hang on, he's a one in six goal scorer. How can you do that? But, you know, they'd spotted what this guy had. And then obviously, you know, he then went and scored 30 goals a season, every season for the rest of his career. It was almost like, you know, he just reached a certain level. Now, only time will tell whether Dominic Calvert-Lewin has reached a certain level where what he's scoring at the moment becomes the norm rather than a particular spell. But there's nothing to suggest it won't be. You know, so as long as you can keep delivering service uh, to him. As, as Gavin said, the one thing that's missing maybe is the ability to score something out of nothing. And there was one actually in the second half where um, he tried a shot from like about 40-odd yards, uh, you know, so yeah. nearly caught the goalkeeper. But that was Graham Sharp scored a goal just like that at Southampton when Sharp was actually, he scored four goals in that game, where he was actually, you know, sort of at his peak. And, you know, the fact that he's even thinking about doing something like that makes you think that this is a different player now. This is a player who's willing to try doing something a bit different. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed that, yes, you know, so we have seen, you know, a penny drop and he's going to be a consistent goal scorer now rather than just, you know, enjoying a purple patch. Let's hope so, anyway. Hmm. I'll always say that too when Sharpie scored the four. And I would remember that. Yeah. Mr. Sitter as well, by the way. Make it fair. He did that once or twice, notably at Anfield. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Connor Calvert-Lewin is the Premier League's top scorer now. And after the game, it might have been a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but Carlo Ancelotti was asked, should Dominic Calvert-Lewin be looking for the golden boot at the end of this season? I mean, should he? If he keeps this run of form going, then who's to say that he couldn't? I think he should. I think it'd be good to see him say that he is aiming for something like that because it proves that he's not... He's not content with where he is and what he's done so far this season, and then he's he's aiming to kick on and score more goals. Because I think you know sometimes maybe we we criticise players and stuff for a lack of ambition and not you know being maybe too content and keeping the cards close to the chest. But I think it'd be good to sit in court and say, yeah, I am. You know, going to aim for the golden boot. I might not get it, but I'm going to do all I can to get it because it should be refreshing to see him, him striving to be you know the best he can be. And, like becoming the golden boot, he's one of the best strikers in the Premier League. So I think he there's no reason why he can't. I think he's got a very, very good good chance of, of doing that. I think certainly as well, you look at you know, the, the people he's up against, it's probably going to be someone from across the park who's going to be his nearest rivals. So it, it'd be even sweeter if he was to beat one of them <laughs> to, to make it even that little bit that little bit sweeter. Mm-hmm. Well, fingers crossed Calvert-Lewin can keep up his scoring form for the rest of this season. That's all we've got time for today. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back later in the week and we'll be, of course, building up to Everton's clash against Leeds United at Goodison Park next weekend. Uh, Don't forget you can rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. And don't forget you can join in the conversation on Facebook and Twitter as well. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.